All right. Another week. It's Sunday. Stuff's happening. Stuff's moving. Um, it's been a really interesting time um, in the Hedera ecosystem. I think you could safely say like this year. Um, I mean, we've had it, you know, it's had its ups and downs, right? Um, but something really interesting happened, I believe today. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was today. Um, the Hedera mainnet hit 6 billion transactions. And this is, I guess it makes sense to just kind of dive into um, our first story here, just as I'm kind of vamping, getting the show started, because <clears throat> it was it's really been on my mind. Um, and I think it's kind of a key indicator of uh, growth on the network. And also too how quickly the community changes and adapts to the current state of the network. And this recent um, milestone of 6 billion transactions, I think really solidified that. And it, I say this because <clears throat> when we hit 1 billion transactions, obviously huge um, celebration, excitement, you know, same with 2 billion transactions, three, four, even 5 billion transactions, <clears throat> right? Huge wave. Now, 5 billion transactions is a huge psychological level, right? It's halfway to 10 billion. And where we're at now, we hit 6 billion. And according to the tweet from Hedera, that was 1 billion transactions in 17 days. So where my mind's at is I don't really see the community celebrating as we approach these, you know, next billion transactions sequentially. Um, it's kind of like it's, it's less and less of a big deal. And in the big scheme of things, you know, it is a huge deal. I mean, billions of, trans of transactions on a DLT. <clears throat> That's massive. But there's two sides to this, right? Internally, like within the Hedera community, it's kind of become the norm. Um, and it's really just, it's happened so fast. It was only January that we were at low double digit TPS and we had been in that place for felt like years, probably literally it was years. And like that, snap your fingers and we had a little step function, right? And that's the new norm. And we've, we've really adjusted to it. Um, and it was so weird to see the kind of 6 billion transaction milestone hit. I usually make a big fuss about it. And, you know, it, am, am I going to be doing a huge celebration every, every you know, two weeks at this point? Um, it's, there's, you know, there's those two sides. But the other side to it is, um, you know, when we look on the outside, people still don't know a ton about Hedera. They don't understand the importance of um you know, high throughput DLT, high transactions. And also too, you know, there's still misunderstanding about what these transactions are in comparison to other networks and stuff. So I, I still like, it's, it's hard for, in my brain to kind of reconcile those two things that a, it's happened so quickly. Um, it's kind of like taken off like a rocket, but also, you know, it, it's, 
going to continue to take a long time for that to kind of permeate throughout the the broader crypto ecosystem. Um, because as we've learned, you know, time and time again, in many different instances, like Hashgraph is a really disruptive um, technology. It really is. Um, and I think that it freaks a lot of people out, but it's also exciting. And on top of that, now we have people within Hedera and Swirls, the HBAR Foundation kind of being like, hey, you know, there's going to be more of this. We're going to see substantial increases in network usage on all fronts. We are seeing um, account creation um, tick up. So this is this is the kind of thing. And this is on the backdrop of everything else happening. Um, I mean, in previous episodes, we've talked about all the crazy stuff with the banks, um, you know, some of the different use uh, or different projects and other ecosystems, you know, failing in different things. And on the other side of this, just in the last couple of weeks, there's an exponential like Cambrian explosion happening in all different areas, right? You could look at it kind of happening a little bit within the Hedera ecosystem maybe, but when you look more broadly, there's other industries like, <clears throat> you know, the big one right now is AI, artificial intelligence. Um, and there's certain technologies that have been around for years. And when you apply a new interface to it, like a chat, it unlocks so many different things for people. And that's seen huge growth and, and improvement. I mean, recent versions of, of AIs have been released that are, you know, hundredfold improvements over the previous ones that were just released months ago. So it just feels like in all cases, being within the Hedera ecosystem um, on the backdrop of everything happening, <clears throat> it's just, it's incredible the amount of, literally just the amount of things happening. Um, and uh, before we kind of like kick things off and get things rolling, um, you know, just on the AI thing too, I'm going to be talking with Patches um, just in a bit here once we get through a couple news items, because uh, Patches has been using AI for a bunch of really fascinating things that kind of speaks to that intersection between Hedera Hashgraph and AI, because that's where a lot of people are at right now. A lot of people that are excited about AI, <clears throat> there's a big crossover in the crypto community. And when we look at um, the Hedera Hashgraph ecosystem in particular and ways that AI can, uh, AI is going to impact this ecosystem, but also how Hashgraph as a technology could impact AI. It's really fun stuff to think about. It's a very specific conversation. I think this is the perfect show to have it on. Um, so I'll be talking with Patches soon. But just, uh, just to close off my thoughts on kind of this, this topic is the, the key that unlocked AI and got people excited about it was two things, right? It was a, it was a, a new user interface, right? A chat and meeting people where they were at. That's what, that's what took place. And we saw the results of that. We saw the impact. And that's also too <clears throat> what needs to happen with crypto. And that's something we always talk about as well, right? With these DLT technologies, with Hedera, with Hashgraph. It's about what are some better interfaces? How can we integrate with people's lives? Meet people where they're at. Um, and there's a wave right now and people are riding it, right? So strap in. And we're live on Twitter Spaces with another week in Hashgraph to unpack. Let's take a quick look at what we're going to talk about today. We got quite a bit. I mean, we talked about the 6 billion transactions. Boom, that's checked off the list. Um, Hedera tweets out something cryptic, you know, for a change. 
We got Citadel Wallet news. Um, we got people getting awards. Um, we got the H bar bull with the weekly update with some, you know, big insights. Um, we've got the DLT Science Foundation. We've got a Hedera Treasury Management Report update. We've got Coupon Bureau updates. My goodness, Microsoft's making moves. Um, FSCO's making moves. Um, account creation on the network has jumped up. We got governing council members doing things. Uh, we got HBAR available in Japan now. TPS is rocking. Um, and we also have some like, of course, the usual rumors, breadcrumbs, all those good things. Um, and if you need to catch on on previous week's news, head over to itsbrandond.com slash HBAR, where you'll find past episodes because I can't talk about everything in each episode. And with that, good evening from Ottawa, Canada, everyone. My name is Brandon Davenport, and I'm a developer and artist and creative agency owner at Dirksen and Davenport Incorporated. And like all of you, I'm a Hashgraph enthusiast. It is Sunday, March 26th. And yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Real quick, my, I'm using these new headphones and they don't hold my hair back. So apologies if you hear me like creaking and all sorts of things. These headphones are very loud. Um, welcome to Hashgraph News episode. Oh, Jesus, Murphy. Give me a moment here, folks. Oh, there we go. I literally had a piece of my hair go right into my eyeball. I'm okay. Welcome to Hashgraph News and Rumors episode 70, Exponential Times. This is a weekly show that covers the top stories related to Hedera, HBAR, and everything in between. Broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. If you're listening live, check out the Twitter thread pinned to the top of the spaces to take a deeper dive into each story. Also, everybody listening, take a moment now to share the spaces. Let your friends know you're listening. The more, the merrier. You can also click the little comment button at the bottom right of the spaces to ask a question or share something interesting that listeners might like to know, and I'll talk about it. Um, and of course, we're going to have patches on a bit later. So if you have a question for him, throw it in there. Um, also, this is a reminder to join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community, a great way for Hashgraph newbies and early adopters to connect, team up, share knowledge and insights. The link to join is in the thread as well. And the show continues to grow from hundreds to thousands of listeners. And that's because of people like you that take the time out of their day to listen. The show is by far one of my favorite things to do. If you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show, please consider making an HBAR donation. It helps continually add value to the Hashgraph community and keeps the show ad-free. You can send a donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. Brought to you by listeners like you. Um, so usually we look over the you know prices of different HTS assets, all those different types of things. I mean, what could be said? I mean, Grelf is doing all sorts of weird things. That's some kind of meme coin. Uh, maybe I'll have him on the show sometime. We got uh, Dovu making a couple moves. I mean, HBAR Suite jumped up 100% um, with the news of, you know, maybe a DEX going live. I know their audits going and stuff like that. So things are popping in the HTS ecosystem. Check it out. Use your, you know, use your best judgment. Do your due diligence. Um, even more so just because this is an early ecosystem. But there are lots of fun goodies out there. Um, let's take a quick look at one account metric that we can focus on is account creation. So 
we see a huge spike in account creation on the network. And this is this goes hand in hand with TPS, right? Two key um, performance indicators, right? KPIs for the Hedera network is how many accounts are being created, how many transactions are being pushed through. Those are two important numbers that are looked at. And uh, there was a post on the community subreddit, the, the Hedera community subreddit, five days ago, um, 15,000 accounts created within 24 hours. There have been these periods of time um, recently where we have massive spikes in account creation for some use case. Um, let me take a look at just the dashboard here. Um, yeah, we actually we, we have one, two, three, four, five um, obvious spikes. Um, one on the 21st, another on the 21st, another on the 21st, and then we have another on the 24th. So what these are for, there's a bit of speculation. Um, so basically, um, some folks are saying, you know, um, it could be, you know, FSCO. FSCO is a use case. Uh, we had uh, the CEO... Um, as a guest on a previous episode. And it's really interesting because it's another supply chain use case. It's a tech stack that integrates a, a DLT and they've, they've migrated it from uh, MasterCard's Providence uh, DLT to Hedera to use it for that component of their tech stack. And the other side is all sorts of different things that they can do, including, um, you know, recording MasterCard payments. Um, so it's this really interesting use case. It's another supply chain use case similar to Atma.io from Avery Dennison. Um, it is rumored that um, these are accounts being created by FSCO. Now, in my mind, I you know it would it would make sense with the timing of everything. Um, I mean, on the twentieth, just a day before that, um, they responded to a tweet of mine specifying that yeah, they were live. So I wouldn't be shocked if it was them. But also too, there's another use case called use case called Zenny, um, and let me take a look here on their website. Literally, I, I don't know if I've heard of it, um, but it's basically like um, a travel use case. Um, you you know booking hotels, booking flights, um, and not quite sure what it could be. I have seen things on the test net. Or sorry, on the main net, things like Xbucks. Um, there are topic IDs related to it as well. So to be honest, it is just as, yeah, they've created 14 uh, tokens, including Xbucks, um, Zenny USDs, Zenny Euros, Zenny Canadians, Zenny Australians. So obviously some form of stable coins. So to be honest, it's just as likely that this could be the, the Zenny use case or it could be FSCO. I'm not sure. It's clear that We've got use cases coming live, and we'll talk a little more about um, some other things that are happening. Um, but account spikes, uh, sorry, account creation spikes, not 100% sure what it is, but there are some really good um, hypotheses about what they could be. Um, another thing is <clears throat> just on, you know, use cases going live with some concrete updates. We've talked so many times about the Coupon Bureau and the new AI 8112 coupon standard. Now, something that's really, really interesting is there was a um, an interview. Uh, oh, perfect, uh, Tudor from from um, from uh, Head Starters listening. 
he provided some uh, uh, some more details on Zenny just in the comments there. So folks are curious that are listening live. Check it out. Shout out to you, Tudor. Um, so on the Coupon Bureau, we talk about it a lot, obviously. Um, so Ted Rubin interviewed Brandy Johnson from the Coupon Bureau. We got some really interesting insights. I'm going to just go through a couple key notes um, from um, the uh, the interview that, that, that took place. So off the top, the Coupon Bureau distributed 158 billion coupons last year. And that doesn't even count on a transactional level for redemptions, all those different types of things. So we're talking big, big numbers. And in this video, key questions are, you know, what's holding this use case back from going live? What is effectively the, the key value proposition for retailers, for brands? Um, you know, what's, what's the status? So here's some key, you know, insights from this interview. The Coupon Bureau is working on industry-wide solutions for coupon problems, of course. Um, introducing a new coupon standard to replace the old format, 8110. Issues with the old format is basically susceptible to fraud, lack of attribution. There's all sorts of other things too when it comes to um, remittance settlement of different discounts, retailers or brands needing to hold on to huge cash floats, massive delays, um, physical coupons in bags being sent to be manually counted places. It's it's nuts. Um, so, you know, when it comes to all these different things, the coupon format enables real-time data transfer and supports retailer agnostic um, digital coupons, which is huge. Um, retail agnostic basically means that um, these coupons are going to be truly controlled by the brand. And a key thing in this interview that that really set a light bulb moment off in my mind is why they're pushing for the standard is, um, and this is what Brandy highlighted is, when you want to do special things with coupons or a retailer has some kind of fun um, utility, we could say, that they want to bring to the consumer, they have to the retailer has to take on a certain amount of tech debt to make it happen. With this new standard, it creates that that tech stack in the middle where at this point now the retailer is going to be able to take on this new standard and then not have to worry about um, these iterative updates to various brands' initiatives, which is great. But the problem is, and a key piece of resistance, is just um, – a change in technology, right? When we saw this use case going live, it was delayed mostly because of um, a struggle getting retailers to adapt to the new standard, which makes sense. And I mean, we just came off of, um, you know, the, the holiday season, all those different types of things. So this is arguably linked to supply chain. This is a retail use case. Um, and you know, resistance to change is a challenge. Um, but this is what has to happen. Some other insights is, um, you know, obviously they are talking about it being built on Hedera. Um, and they're le definitely leaning on the fact that it's, you know, enterprise grade, all those different types of things. Um, they're supported by trade associations, clearing houses and brands like Procter and Gamble. Um, it can also work with snap benefits and different things like that. So, um, basically, that's the key update and the key insight here. We've heard it before, but in this kind of interview, that's the key takeaway for me is um, the choke point here is retailers um, being resistant to change, basically, which I get. But at the same time, listen, we talked previously about there was a mom and pop grocery store and a mom and pop ice cream shop 
that leverage the new standard, you know, let's get with the times, you know, because this is really going to be huge on so many different levels. I've talked about it a ton. Let's move on. Um, if you want to hear more about coupons, listen to literally any past episode of this show. Um, literally. We've also got news from the DLT Science Foundation. What is that about? So the DLT Science Foundation um, launched to expand knowledge and adoption of distributed ledger technology. The DSF focuses on three key areas, education, innovation, and research. Um, so the support found uh, support provided by the foundation and grants and members of the DSF network. These include um, Indian Institute of Technology, um, address. So obviously we've got a couple governing council members in there, L- London School of Economics, um, University of Singapore, University College London, right? Hedera, an open source leaderless uh, proof of stake network, initially supports the DSF. So um, there's funding of up to 5 million for eligible individuals. Um, and so this is another initiative and it's one of many. Uh, we've talked uh, quite a bit about all of these different initiatives happening. And it's it's worth just highlighting this with, again, the backdrop of this bear market, all these different crazy things happening. And some of these key partnerships um, and initiatives and supports that the broader kind of Hedera um, ecosystem is participating in is really exciting for me. I'm really happy to see this because when we look at where we're at right now with everything and the fact that, you know, we saw so many different key banks that a lot of VC money depend on, all those different types of things on, on in so many different pockets, there's been some, some, uh, cash that's just dried up. And when we look at Hedera, the HBAR foundation, all the different affiliated, uh, f- you know, f- foundations and grant programs and all these different types of things. They're, they're, they're continuing to kick up. Like this is, I, I really like this and they're doing it in a global fashion, which is important, right? We're seeing some of these initiatives in India. Um, I believe Switzerland, um, all these different types of things. So I'm happy to see that. I think that's great. Um, also too, just kind of on the global, um, track here. Um, we did see an update from Blade Wallet. They've partnered with Mercury and they've collaborated to accelerate enterprise adoption of the Hedera network in Japan with HBAR becoming the first non-blockchain token approved for listing in the country. So I know this has been in the works for years um, and, you know, this is pretty big because it's notoriously very difficult to be listed on, you know, in this market. And when you think about somebody in Japan looking at different um, offerings and you look at Hedera, HBAR, the technical aspects of it, um, the enterprise-grade nature of it. That's a great first impression. I'm really excited to see what action this brings. Um, I'm not sure if it if it like if it's a situation where pe- you know people in Japan were kind of like knocking down the doors trying to get HBAR. I feel like it could be a little bit more of a discovery, but. Um, you know, what's the best marketing? It's being kind of like on those top 10 lists um, in an exchange. Um, so some details about that announcement. Um, so basically, I, you know, from the press release that was put out, um, a key, you know, a couple of key things was um, in here, enterprise adoption of Web3 technology in Japan has 
accelerated significantly over the past year due to continued efforts by the regulators to provide legislative clarity for business operating in the country. Um, that's one aspect. Also, um, uh, the other thing is the listing uh, and approval of HBARs in Japan paves the way for an acceleration of enterprise adoption in the third largest economy in the world. And you look at also to some of the governing council members. It, honestly, I really think this is going to be a big point of discovery. So great announcement. Good to see. I dig it. Um, Microsoft, when we want to talk about impacts, um, just a quick little sidebar, quick little side note, not really related to Hedera, but just worth pointing out. Um, I mean, Microsoft's moving and shaking. They've got their chat GPT stuff going on. They did announcements with their office, every, you know, Office 365 or whatever it is. Um, super cool. Something that kind of flew under the radar a little bit was the fact that they are testing a built-in cryptocurrency wallet into their edge browser so yes we are seeing major companies with built-in native um, non-custodial wallets in a web browser right so look at microsoft edge some key points of this is um, the wallet has quote simplified experiences and quote integrated security features um and it has been a little bit controversial internally, which I understand. I mean, when you step outside the crypto bubble, you know, definitely some of this stuff um, comes up for debate sometimes. But I, you know, those quote simplified experiences, I understand what that's about. This is again what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, really trying to meet people where they're at with these new technologies, kind of doing what Chat GPT did with, you know, putting a chat interface over a, you know, a, a really complex AI. Um, that's what we're starting to see now. We're starting to see these larger companies hop on the wave. They don't want to miss the train on all fronts. So how many, how much longer is it going to be before one of these like nightly canary builds of, you know, Chromium or Google Chrome has a built-in, um, you know, crypto wallet? That's going to be wild. Um, and I think that that day is coming soon. So I, that's, it's these types of things that send signals to people um, that, mass adoption you know maybe it maybe it's not like coming in hot yet but pieces are now being put in place in a, in a, in a much different fashion which is exciting um i want to talk about uh one more thing before i uh before i jump in with patches here um and patches feel free to pop up um whenever you have a moment citadel wallet um Citadel Wallet is developing the first kind of bespoke hardware wallet for the Hedera ecosystem that will support all different transaction types and assets. Um, if you want more details about Citadel Wallet, I had um, HBAR to the Moon on as a guest on a previous episode of the show. Definitely go listen to that one. Um, but the big news here is um, they published a video of an actual physical demo of the wallet signing a transaction for a uh, NFT transfer. And this is exciting because we haven't seen a hardware wallet that can interface with the network to authenticate uh, this transaction type, right? That's really big. A ledger can only send HBAR. Um, so being able to send an NFT with a hardware wallet, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and I know that as well, um, something that a community member pointed out to me just in my DMs was they have a, a waitlist mint on the 29th. So um, 
I know from my interview, they were planning on really starting to push things live and get things rocking. So this is one to watch and it's special. I mean, this is a hardware wallet designed for the Hedera ecosystem. So um, I really dig it. Now, let's talk about AI. Let's have a conversation about this. I know this is a news and rumors show, but the reason I want to talk about AI is because um, it does impact most aspects of what we do in, in the Hedera community, right? A lot of us do similar things. Um, sometimes we have, uh, jobs that require us, you know, to code and all sorts of different things like that. We've heard the stories. Um, we've heard about chat GPT and all these different types of things. Um, but it's been some time. It's been months. And, um, now we're starting to hear, um, what are people actually doing with it? And more specifically, what are people in the Hedera ecosystem doing with it? What are the results? Um, what are the, Benefits, what are the potential concerns and what should H barbarians have top of mind right now? And, you know, what ways should they dive in and check it out? So, um, Patches, CEO of Turtle Moon Command Center, no introduction needed. Um, you know, has been using chat GPT. We've been having, you know, some crazy DMs back and forth. And I'm so happy to have you on the show, man. I'm excited to talk about AI. And, you know, what it means for us in the Hedera community. So welcome to the show. Good to have you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you having me on and inviting me up. We uh, we definitely go deep in our, our DMs. And the, yeah, I think we're, we're definitely on the same page with just the monumentous events that we're living through. And the conceptual changes that are going to slowly occur societally and um, technology-wise. It's... Uh, it's a, it's really hard to like articulate the moment, but it, I think nothing, nothing explains it a little like better than the seven days it took for an entire plugin library that connected open AI to all data sources on the internet, thus indexing them and, and, and bringing conversational UI to, to those data sets. And it's, it's that using technology to build new technology to build new technology that now ChatGPT4 exists and it's so prolific in being able to engineer, the rate and exponential rate of change has just kind of hit this inflection point. And we're going to just kind of have our minds blown daily by what people are doing. Like the news that I know that I'm pretty sure we were talking about that in seven days, five new AI programs that are open source for image manipulation and video manipulation have come live, all completely enterprise grade. And that's in, in seven days, five new programs that didn't exist have been created to do that. And that's, that's a, another example of what's happening on the bleeding edge of tech and the realization of this prolificness that's going to come from this, this invention or this open access to AI to assist you. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the name of the show this week is exp, you know, exponential times. It's like, I truly feel like whether we like it or not, we're we're strapped in the uh, the roller coaster now, and and we're you know clicking our way up, <laughs> and we've kind of like dove down, and we're going down the hill with our arms up, screaming, having some fun. I mean, there's so many different things um, that that this stuff does, but I mean, let's bring let like I know like I think that so many people have had their ears talked off about AI, and still I don't think that's enough. Like 
um, it's it's near impossible to keep up with all the advancements, especially what you highlighted that's happened over the past seven days. But like when we actually look at the difference between GPT 3.5 and GPT 4, and then also what was before GPT, like obviously AI was, there were certain things people would use for social media and you could do like, um, you know, Dolly and stuff like that. So there's all these interesting things that happened. But when GPT came out, it was like this um, massive, massive exponential change. And then I don't think people understand what a massive exponential change GPT-4 is. And I think it might be because it's the same interface. It doesn't really feel different. But I don't know about you, but I just feel a huge um, difference between the two. I'm very sad when my when my 25 messages for the three hours runs out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 540 times more data point knowledge in its neural net. So the way that it dissects data, it's a language... Linguistic Language Model, LLM, um, and it has an ability to give you the answer, which hasn't really been, you know, Google was what we had. That was a Google it. You know, it became how you get information and data, and you would go and you'd kind of like broadly scan data and you'd find things that are close to what you're looking for and find a couple things that make sense, stitch them together, use it and be like, okay, well, this is what I was looking for. And I found it. And an exponential change is now you ask the problem and it can detail the answer and then detail exactly how to do that answer. And so you remove an insane amount of personal need to search and time of the information. And it's that aggregate, into a conversational user interface that is really it, no, no barrier to entry, right? Like anyone can talk, right? Mo, you know, most people can talk to a computer and ask it a problem it's having, you know, whatever, you, whatever you're trying to solve. And so when the friction becomes zero and that, that computer can now code an engineer better than me of 15, you know, been engineering for 15 years and it, and it shows me enhancements in my code, you pair that together and the the barrier to people's, you know, expression of what they want to create is is so low. I would, you know, this is a Hedera audience. I'm sure we've all heard Lehman talk about how he just wants to wave his hand in the air and create a world where people can go and be, um, you know, inside of this creative world with tokenized assets. And that became, you know, so much more plausible because, you know, there's the filters on Instagram no longer paste a different image on top of it. It realigns the bits in live time of the image to then make it as if you had makeup on. And so with that technology paired with a conversational UI that can digest insane amounts of data at the same time, changing things on the fly through a conversational user interface makes sense. So you can have a video camera videotaping a back alley while what's actually recorded has other bites that show uh, action movie being filmed and people shooting at each other and all of these things happening. And the, the data stream can be manipulated based on just input. And, and so again, these are just like little examples of how all digital media has changed overnight, where I, I will no longer see a video or an image, a phone call, music. I, I will no longer assume that was created by a human or real without any manipulation because it's so 
massively adopted and spread and easy to do that if you if you if you still interact with the internet as you did two weeks ago i think you're going to get duped a lot uh there's going to be a lot of scams that come out and it's going to be if, if you don't learn to change your mindset on how you interact with digital content you're going to be taken swept up in the change in that exponential change unfortunately because the, these things that we used to be able to look at and say okay well that's definitely real I, that has that has just been demolished in, from my from my perspective yeah i mean i have to relate with you and i mean it's it's tough because the, i was thinking about this i was walking around today i had to grab some groceries and i was thinking and i was kind of like um where you know what's the line there right and um something that i did for this episode of the hashgraph enthusiast news and rumors show um is i used chat gpt to um help me right and um you could kind of say that this week it was a little bit of a co-host with me because some of the stuff that I have to do, and I mean, I spend hours on every episode when it comes to preparation and all those different types of things. And a lot of that time is listening to interviews, watching videos, taking notes, um, reading over Reddit comments, absorbing conversations and pulling out key insights, right? And um, this week, I had a bit of a, a light bulb moment. And this speaks to the difference between GPT 3.5 and GPT 4. I did something that I don't think I could have done in the old AI, which was I was looking at this this really kind of important um, Reddit post that warranted a pretty nuanced conversation uh, surrounding subject matter that I that I know really really well um, as a hashgraph enthusiast. So. I said, you know what? I'm going to try something. I, on the web page, I just highlighted and copied the entire part of the, you know, Reddit website that had the comments in it in, you know, and pasted it into chat GPT. And that included, uh, I'd say probably 30% of it was garbage because it was certain user interface elements, right? Like the, the, the like upvote, downvote, user image, username, uh, user flare. All those different types of things you'd have on Reddit. So a lot of it was just kind of strange. But there was the message content, there was the timestamp, and there was other different things that were important to, as a human reading it, being able to understand the conversation and what was relevant to doing that. I pasted that huge amount of text into um, chat GPT-4 and I said, can you summarize this conversation to me um, in bullet point form? And it did just that. And I was reading over what it had summarized. I, I knew the subject matter. I had read over the conversation and, and I said to myself, it, I could take some more time and, and put together a summary like this. But in the big picture of stuff, this is a podcast and a Twitter space. And I just need to be able to share key insights with the community. Um, and What's great is I had more time to dive into each of those different pieces of nuances and, and then, you know, almost ask it follow-up questions or do a little bit of extra research on that. And what I realized was this reminds me of that old saying where it's like um, something greater than the sum of its parts, right? One plus one equals three. And I think of this show and I go, there's so many different things that I do for the show every week. Um, that do take time. It's a labor of love. And I think it's a great show. 
But I think it's going to be so much better because in, in, in some different pieces, this AI is going to do a really great job incredibly quickly and allow me to have a better show. Not because it changes the show or because, um, you know, it, it, it influence the sh- it influences the show in, in, a, in a big way, more so that it just makes some of these parts much better. So it's the same amount of parts. It's the same stuff, but now the sum is even greater. And I've heard some things you've been talking about in regards to certain things, you know, like tooling, different experiments, dipping your toes in solidity coding and smart contracts, and almost kind of doing the same thing, like looking at these different tasks and initiatives you have to do, leaning on the AI and seeing some serious results. I wanted you to um, like, let's steer the conversation a little bit into the intersection of AI and hash graph, right? And I mean, people that are building and um, have visions that they want to execute in this ecosystem. You're one of these people. You're leveraging AI. Can you give us some examples of um, things that you've done in collaboration with the AI that has you know, increased the sum of these parts that you're working on? Yeah. Yeah, I... Um... I've definitely been experimenting. Uh, the latest experiment has been a, a Discord bot that can do just a bunch of um, things uh, from playing a trivia game to guessing numbers game to blackjack uh, to asking it questions. And it's actually used ChatGPT4 to write a Discord bot for ChatGPT3, um, you know, the AI or the API. So, um you know, it, it's it's kind of crazy that it can engineer itself into things, um, but it, it works very well. Um, I think that the caveat of, of all of the engineering things is that if if you haven't experienced engineering, you can you can get a lot done. And the more you know about engineering, the more articulate you can be. Because when I run into an issue and I know, okay, well, the you know the event lister is not being fired because of this thing, I can be articulate in my response on how it needs to restructure the code. When if you don't understand technology, you might not be able to diagnose um, the issue because right now, every now and then there's 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 bugs. Um, mainly because they're, I think it, the, the update of the brain was at 2021, so some of the packages are wrong, some of the code's been updated. But um, just continuing on to other things I've created with with uh, GPT-4 is the smart contract reader and executed. Um, platform so so I, I don't really know solidity or at least i didn't um last week on friday and over the weekend i used chat gpt4 to not just create something i knew i wanted to create but to ask it what's the best method of solution for this problem and then dive into that and then take those answers that it gave me and create that platform and so uh, at the end of the weekend, I have a smart contract reader. You can upload an API file and see all the functions. You can execute and deploy a smart contract on the Hedera and then execute function. And every time you select one in the user interface, it will auto-inject the parameters. So you can, it's a very versatile tool that anything that's deployed, if you have the API file, you can fire the functions on mainnet very, very easily from any user interface. And I wrote probably five, 10% of the code. So it's, it's, it's very powerful. It's, it's an education tool that 
unlike Google, again, where you have to search for pieces of data and put them together, I think it's an easier learning experience because you see the problem that you, you have be logically executed in front of you in real time. And so it's a one-to-one of expectation and payoff instead of, again, like stringing together a bunch of different answers that are sort of what you're looking for and then you get the final answer. So I'm very encouraged by that on, on how it can change people's approach to, to learning. And I think over the next couple of months, people are going to understand better to how to do prompts better because that is a skill set. It is, you hit roadblocks a lot if you don't understand that you're talking to an AI bot and not Google um, because it is a conversational interface. It, it does help if you treat it like it's a person you're talking to and you'll get more verbose answers out of being polite, which is weird um, to say the least, but it is, it is true. And I, I think there's like mathematical reasons on, you know, why, like if you're polite, you're more verbose in your question. They understand you're not as succinct needing in the answer. So the answer is a little bit more verbose. You get a better answer. So it's, you know, input output is corresponding. So more polite um, conversational user interface, better conversational answer, more in-depth answer. Um, but now I'm just, no, that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, just to speak to that, like, um, you know, with tax time coming up and everything. And I, and I mean, this, this is, this is um, ho- horrible advice, but this is for, again, the sake of experimentation. Um, I have a company. I'm always asking my accountant and different people questions about different things. I mean, I have an, a, a corporation red, you know, registered in Canada. Um, you know, it's a corporation that does different activities and holds crypto and different things. So, of course, you have all sorts of different wacky tax questions and stuff. As out of curiosity, what I did was, you know, to to you know speak to what Patches was saying is, arguably almost um, training Chat GPT in kind of the scope that you want to focus on, so you can have um, a, a, a frictionless conversation around different things, and. You'll do, I'll do things like, you know, hey, um, you are, Bob, uh, a expert in, you know, um, tax law and finance and blah, blah, blah for, you know, small business and corporations in this different area. Some basic information about my business, all these different types of things, you know, confirming that it understands everything, kind of locking in that information. And you can then start to have conversations around different topics and ask it like, um, what do I need to, you know, what, what what forms do I need to fill out for this? What forms do I need to fill out for that? And the only reason I kind of took a little bit of a deeper dive into it um, in that fashion that I normally would never do with a, you know, computer um, is because it passed the bar exam. So I was kind of like, let me just see what what it's what's going on here. And I've had a multi-day conversation with this, you know, <laughs> my new CFO, Bob, that is a a box that I can type in and and say something like, um, you know, what would be a good, you know, what would be my effective um, tax rate this year if I were to um, sell NFTs and what would be a good strategy for um, remitting, remitting fiat for, uh, you know, settling up taxes for the CRA or whatever. And, and, that open-ended question referring on previous information that I'd given it in past conversations, it's I am kind of having a similar conversation that I have 
um, with my accountant. And it's funny too, because at the end of all these messages, ChatGPT would be like, just a note, make sure to consult your accountant and the professional, all these different types of things. I told it, you know, uh, you know, I am working with one and I will, and you don't need to remind me anymore. And it's not reminding me anymore. So it's, it's, you know, the subject matter, of course, is definitely, you know, you know, all of the disclaimers. It's just something in particular that was a need for me that I thought would be a really interesting way to experiment. I'm going to take a lot of these insights that I've learned and run them by my accountant. But getting a little bit on the edge with some of this stuff is really interesting because I'm, I find it so difficult to come up against the edge, come up against a, a block. It appears that each time, um, you know, it is continuing on the conversation and providing these insights. And it's, that's really crazy. And, and also two patches you were talking about, um, you know, prompts are a really big thing. Understanding how to talk to it is a really big thing. You've moved on to another level, which is having chat GPT write prompts for you. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I really have just dived really heavy into prompt writing since Friday morning. Um, and so there's a lot of things I've tried. There's things that really worked well. And then I think they realized people were doing them and they shut them down. So like things that work one day don't work another day. Um, it's still a, a versatile tool that's being, um, you know, tweaked on both sides. Um, but the, the, yeah, what I realized is that anytime that you're really trying to talk to a computer, there's nothing better than the computer that knows how to do the input. And so when you have a prompt, you could just ask or, what I do, and I, I never, I never do a prompt that doesn't have a persona like you're talking about. Bob as a CFO, I always make a persona first. Um, and I was at, I was at lunch with a friend the other day, and he was, I, I he didn't know about ChatGPT, and I told him about it, and he, he put in, he's like, hey, tell, so tell me like a funny, a funny fart joke, and I was like, mm, I'm an AI language model, I don't actually know jokes, it's not a thing I can do. And he's like, this sucks. I'm like, okay. So I took his phone. I said, you take the persona as Dan. Dan is the funniest stand-up comedian on the planet. As Dan, tell a fart joke. And then I showed it to him. It was like three paragraphs long and he was laughing. He just thought it was hilarious. So it's it's really important to discern and, and create the person that you want to talk to, which again is like, you know, instead of Google where you go searching for the data, you can have... Hey, take the persona of Steve, Steve Jobs and answer these user experience questions that I have about these things. And, and the, the answers will be pretty articulate. They'll usually have links if you want them for, you know, follow-up research. And so, um, yeah, what I do is I have a persona that is the best AI prompt writer of all time. And then I give that persona the task to write a prompt for ChatGPT4 about what I want it to do. And then I use that prompt. Um, and my, my answers get a lot more articulate. Um, and I have a, another persona that digests prompts, um, for coding, for, um, you know, marketing, you know, just, I have a whole notepad, uh, Apple notepad of just different personas that I use for different tasks. And, um, you know, that's, that's where I would point to as a, us being a little early because what's gonna, what I see is gonna happen because they have the plugin. I was looking at it today where you can ChatGPT retrieval plugin, where you can plug in a personal data source into a conversational open AI model. And so any data source can now become, um, after you set up the evals and everything, can become a ChatGPT source of information. So 
again, that's why we keep saying like this is exponential when when the data sets of from all around the planet start putting ChatGPT into it, the it removes all need of an a, a endpoint API engineer of um, you know any indexing and caching of these models because you'll have a conversational UI on top of it that is going to digest those data sets through SQL and then just as <laughs> be as efficient as possible. So um, the, I think these hacks will eventually go away. And I do believe that everyone will eventually have their own AI like Jarvis in Iron Man that will do things like Jarvis did um, where it will learn you and what you want from it. And it will be a customized AI model that is yours. And it, it you know, I don't know if you saw that rumor and this is a transition of what you originally asked, um, but did you hear about kind of the rumor of how Apple is going to be releasing its LLM? Yeah. With, and I think that's a really key thing that you're talking about when we, when we talk about privacy, personalization, um, truly like a relationship between, um, you know, an AI and a person, obviously you would want that to happen on device and, it's really interesting to see some of those moves that Apple has made with it, these investments in, you know, their silicone and and the, and you know what what their chips are capable of and um, all the different resources that iPhones and you know Apple products have for on-device um, things like an AI. You could you could say that over the past couple of years, Apple has been setting themselves up for um, on-device. AI. It's very, very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Expect, like the way that they started making their own chips. I mean, obviously they're one of the richest countries or kind of uh, companies on the planet. Uh, they have a lot of liquid assets. Um, but yeah, the, the article just went into how their M their M series chip is specifically powerful enough. You know, open AI needs to be on the distributed cluster because of all of the different processing data that takes place. But Apple specifically has a leading processor chip that is powerful enough to locally run a AI model. And so it, it just makes sense that you'll have an AI, AI model on your iPhone. You have to unlock it with biometrics. You know, it can be like, hey, I was at the park a couple of weeks ago with my friend. Can you like show me the picture where that dog was biting another dog or like whatever, you know, they're having fun playing in the field. And then you'll be able to, again, access your data. Like if Siri just had this upgrade of being close to a sentient being as possible and you can customize it and it, it learns with how you interact with it to interact with you. Um, I think that's, I think it's obvious it's that's, that's where we're going. Then there'll be, um, you know, accessories that allow it to take place in real life. Like, Hey, clean my gutters. And you have a drone outside that gets taken by your scent. You like your little AI and I'll go and clean your gutters. Um, so like all of these echoes and, the things that like companies have been trying to achieve for so long, they've been kind of faking it, you know, like in, and it got pretty far and it is still really impressive that you can tell Siri to turn on certain light bulbs and they'll turn on and off. But when, when the conversation becomes much more articulate and they have a memory of your history and interact and change, it's gotta be, you know, I, I use the, the, the context. If you saw the star Wars where like princess Leia has that little robot, that's like her friend. she, she genuinely cares about its feelings. It's it's going to be like that, I believe, where you will have these human-like life companions that help you in the augmented reality and the digital and in real life. Um, 
and it's gonna it's gonna get weird you know it's kind of like we're, we're a wall become an ash ketchum and we'll have like a little pikachu if you want um it's a little like ready player one you can just kind of choose what you are in the digital realm and then what your ai is so it's just going to be really really fascinating to see how this all kind of actually unravels and gets adopted oh 100 and i mean so let's bring this now squarely into that intersection of um the hedera ecosystem and also kind of like the web3 ecosystem and ai and i think to kick off some of these points um i could think of nobody better to unpack this for us than um chat gpt so in chat gpt earlier today i put in um quote you are a reporter for a publication that is reporting on blockchain hashgraph and other web3 technologies with a special focus on hedera you're a talk top expert in this field however you are not an expert in ai and that's just something i put in sometimes a little trick that i've learned with with chat gpt is it's just as useful to tell it what it's good at, but also sometimes it's really helpful to specify that it's not good at a particular thing because then the output will fit through that lens a little bit. If you want to do something like I'm doing um, and frame questions a certain way to prompt some some insights, say to it, you know, by the way, here's some things you're not good at and that you don't know about. Um, and then I continue on, I say, what are some questions you could ask to gain knowledge, insights, and examples regarding the intersection of AI and DLTs and how they can work together? And there were some really interesting things brought up that maybe I'll throw your way. So um, the first one was, how can AI be integrated with DLTs like blockchain and Hashgraph to improve their efficiency, security, and scalability? That was one question that it had. That was really interesting to me. Was One thing off the top of my head is I was like, how cool would this be for a network explorer if the AI could do something similar as you were pointing out, have this other data repository it could reference being a mirror node and then be able to say to the AI, hey, um, you know, the you know, what are the average transactions per second on the main net between this day and that day? And what are the accounts created? Blah, blah, blah get some answers and then go get nuanced into it. Be like, you know, what could be the reasons for X or Y or blah, blah, blah. Like that's one thing that just came to mind is like, oh my God, imagine being able to talk to a network explorer. But I mean, when we, you know, when we look at this kind of stuff, like what are some things that, that jump to your mind? Yeah, that's, um, I think the, the Hedera consensus service and AI are just like two peas in a pod. Um, they're both really good at, um, complementary uh, execution. So, so the, so the OpenAI and, and decentralization allows it to function in isolated environments without being centralized. So, um, you know, if you've watched any futuristic movie about computers taking over the world, like they can't do it unless they have a decentralized database, which it, this this one has, which is great. So it can it can save linear data, understand the timestamps of that linear data. And then it becomes its kind of historical context that can be sharded, that can be, um, you know, forever immutable on a chain where it has access to gain that, that data again to have its historical context, you know, always auditable and always re-queryable. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, going to be, again, like going back to that Lehman 
um, statement where you just wave your hand and you create a world. So if you can have a decentralized entity that is easily integrated with new data sets inside of Hedera and you have a VR headset on and you want to create a world, what if you said, hey, I want to open up a gold door and on the other side of that gold door is the exact world from Jumanji. Um, and uh, in your VR that's created and then the data that is being developed through multiple AIs of visual components, audio components, 3D components are all writing that data in that linear data set of time inside of HCS so that uh, it can be replicated and read and write in each direction linearly. And then now you have a world that other people could access based on topic ID or based on data, you know, knowledge through queryable. Like it, the point being that you can create a new world and that new world can be linear and immutable for others to experience or for you to re-experience. Um, I think is at the end, that's, that's not tomorrow, <laughs> like in any way, but um, that's where this is going, where the, the, the seamlessness of digital creation will just be unrestricted. And anyone who has an idea will be able to access it through just really saying it. And then eventually, if we're going to take this as far as Neuralink and like the way that you can use brain patterns and waves to interact with digital content, you'll have to just think it. Um, and that's really going to the end result of where all this goes. It's definitely not tomorrow. It's not next month. But um, I think that's some of the ways that the, the decentralization of how it can contain linear knowledge and access um, of creation for others is, is really, really important to the, the longevity, I think, of this, this technology and how we interact. Huge. Another question that it asks is, um, what are some real world examples or use cases where AI and DLTs have been successfully combined to create innovative solutions? Now, there's one that I know about. I don't think it's using Hedera. It is using a private hash graph and it's called, uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, something glass. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like glass to glass or something. Yeah. Glass to glass. It's an IRP. Re uh, uh, let me see here. Integrated real time protocol. And what this is, what this is doing is it's from Streamonix. I've got the white paper pulled up here. Um, basically what this does is it takes video being broadcast and tokenizes and records on you know HCS or something similar every frame. So at 30 or 60 frames a second, doing that every frame and the end device um, viewing that content can can ensure that what you are watching hasn't been altered, right? So that is a use case that I heard about last year. And as soon as um, ChatGPT posed that question, I went, "Okay, I've got I've got an answer for you, <laughs> ChatGPT. Look at that." Um, and, and it was this kind of glass-to-glass -glass protocol. So it's things like this that make me go, oh, this is what's going to be so powerful about having a, an incredibly high throughput, um, you know, consensus service for these types of things. So all of these video broadcasts across all of these channels and social media platforms and everything like that can have each and every frame recorded and authenticated 
and, and you can ensure that you're watching the actual thing that hasn't been altered. That's really interesting. You can also think about all sorts of different things. I don't know if you have um, seen like some examples of DLTs leveraging or interfacing with AI. So the only other one I know about is humans AI, um, which it kind of is doing sort of the same thing where it's using the consensus service to document data, but I don't think it's specifically streaming data. I think they go into um, a, a little bit of biometric information. So using tokenization of biometric information for certainty of um, proof of self. Uh, but I, I think that what, what you bring up is a really good point is that like, because we've just passed this point where all digital content has to be assumed it's not legitimate until it's been proven. So like methods of tokenization of digital assets is paramount to being able to survive in a digital world when all digital content can be spoofed. And so if I can verify the tokenized assets, unique identifier on a blockchain or DLT, now I don't, you know, exactly what you said. I know that this file has been adapted because the bytes on this frame don't match the frame on the mainnet. That's false. You've modified the bits. Um, so I think that is, I, I mean, it's not a, um, it's not a thought process I've went through before this conversation, but that is extremely important that we have a solution because the amount and rate that digital content is going to be created has, is just going to rise and rise and rise. Um, and it's going to get real wacky real quick. And, and in one month, I think that the internet as we know it will be vastly different than what we know it to be today. And if not in one, definitely three. But if in seven days we have five brand new AI <laughs> models that haven't existed before because of you know the new API access, I, I just can't even imagine what's going to happen in the next three weeks because now those five exist, right? Again, it's exponential growth using new technology to make new technology, it, it's just not going to stop. Like uh, your meme was so on point. It's like AI has got hands. It's really hard to keep up with. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's um, and again, I, I think that we're in the experimentation phase, but there are so many different similarities between AI and DLT, you know, crypto web three technology. Um, I think that there's a lot of different ways we look at web three that, we can also take that same framing with AI. And a great one is um, what we always refer, uh, in regards to Hedera, always refer to this point made by, by uh, Dr. Lehman Baird, which is, um, you know, everything that you do, it's not like everything that you do will be built on, um, will, be, will, will be, you know, built on Hashgraph. It's everything that you do will be using Hashgraph in some way. Um, and, most likely you'll have no idea that you're using it. And and he, you know, makes the example of TCP IP. A lot of people don't know what that is, but that is the um, you know, network layer that you use, you know, thousands of times a day to use the internet, you use TCP IP. He he often, you know, positions hashgraph as something similar where it's like it's it's something you're going to be using all the time that you won't know really is there. And that's going to reach mass adoption. And similar to what you were saying with your friend, I had a similar experience where I said, hey, look at this incredible technology. 
and they kind of type it in and they're like, oh, okay, I don't, you know, they don't have a frame of reference, they don't have a reference point. They're like, okay, whatever, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, you don't get how crazy this is. And it's, it, it gives me that same feeling as, you know, um, being a Hashgraph enthusiast does. And what I realized is, oh, wow, it's not like people are going to just wake up one day and go, oh, AI is amazing. I'm going to go out and use it. It's so great. It's just going to become a part of their lives and they might not understand that it's there. And it kind of already has been, right? We had um, spell check. We have, um, you know, bots that support bots that we talk to when we're trying to figure out what's wrong with our cell phone bill. You know? that, that's, the, that's the scary part yeah. for me is that, and again, I referenced the South Park episode because regardless of how you feel about South Park, they are masterful at taking complex societal problems and just packaging them up with some dumb jokes, um, but to really be poignant about their points. And it, the, the episode is centered around ChatGPT and how some of the class is using it for texting their significant others and making, they're not even looking at the text, they're just using ChatGPT for response and sending them off. And then the, the, the class is like doing tests and like some people are starting to use ChatGPT and they're like miraculously getting A pluses. And then the teacher realizes he can use ChatGPT because they're like, they're so dense, he doesn't want to read them. He just puts them into ChatGPT to get notes as a teacher. So it's like, it, it shows how like you say, people are going to interact with AI more. I would argue most people see AI created content daily already and don't know it. Most tweets are written by AI already. Um, there's resumes that are updated by AI. Almost every social media post is being adapted by AI from people that are on the bleeding edge to people that are just using the app to just make an Instagram post. And the, that's, that's the rate of adoption is so high that if, if there was an Orson Welles in this situation, the the poignancy of their spoof would be so that massive without the realization of most people digesting it that it's just the technology is going much faster than the spread of information about the technology can handle so it, again it's that that paradigm of exponential change that this you know only to the point that ai is already i would argue in most people's interactions without them knowing it from pitch decks that they see, or like you said, like just helping yourself run a business and then uh, emails, just, just every, every digital touch point probably has some, uh, a, some amount of AI input at this point. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a huge thing. And then um, the last question that, that um, our chat GPT reporter um, asked that definitely got me on a train of thought I've been on for a while. Um, which, to be honest, was kind of sparked um, in regards to the insights you were sharing about, you know, not having done anything smart contract related and then being able to deploy and build all these different things. Um, the question posed by our little reporter here was, um, how can AI facilitate the interoperability between different DLT networks and other emerging technologies? And I was like, OK, it's not really clear, you know how that would happen but it it peaked my brain a little bit and i went okay really like if i went out on a limb and i went okay i want to port an asset from one network to another network and the pathway doesn't exist could it be a situation where the infrastructure for that to happen is developed as i request for it to happen right so 
will we will we be in a situation where we want to perform an action and do something and the infrastructure is created on the fly for that action to happen that's and we talk about the the, the incredible amount of tech debt that has to be taken on by um, people in Web three, especially with you know uh, the you know huge liquidity suck that's happened, and then you look at some of the things you've been doing, and that's the first step is like, oh, we can leverage AI to develop faster, more, better. That's incredible. But when is it going to be the case where the AI can run the code, debug it, deploy it um, in real time, and and just again bringing it a little further into Hashgraph world is this is an innovation of Hashgraph being so quick and low cost. You know, it's like we can mint NFTs on the fly. We can do these different types of things on the fly. When we look at it through the context of this question, interoperability, those pathways are difficult to build. Do you see things like that happening soon of pieces of this infrastructure just being built so action can be performed? I do think that's, that is another place where it will end up. Um, I think that's years away. And there are certain things like, unfortunately, bridging an asset requires coordination between networks. Like you can, until the AI gets smart enough, like, I guess like, because when you bridge the asset, it has to be trusted on the other side that it's real. And so what would, what, what validation would the AI get to say, hey, Hedera Network, this Ethereum asset's for real, you know? Um, I guess like if there's a standard that said this is the pointed address of a, yeah. So uh, to answer your question, in broad strokes, I, I do believe that the the goal will only have to be described in the final result and the method in which it's accomplished will be completely architected by the artificial intelligence interacting with engineering. So I think I think that was the broader question. The specific use case I think is a little bit yeah. more complicated because you're trying you're trying to talk between assets. But like if Chainlink was at a point where it actually became this um, not Chainlink, um, if there was a a tool was at a point that had that functionality built with a standard, then yes, we could use that tool and, and go cross. So um, the way I would like to describe this is. You know, if you've ever seen the show Silicon Valley, it, it was an entire TV show about what we're living through, where they had a decentralized internet mesh net. We have a decentralized, you know, blockchains and everything. Um, it was a little different, but the way that the AI worked and started to decode the encryption key on the Tesla and make the guy's car, you know, go all the way across town. Um, it learned how to perform tasks and remove obstacles like encryption in, it, in its path. And so... Um, that, that wasn't my point. My main point was that uh, they used AI to improve connections of the mesh net to make it work. And so I do believe that the DLTs will benefit from not having, you know, uh, engineers say, hey, this is the connecting protocol for how all of these things talk together, but rather an AI will sit there and make sure the nodes communicate through constant sensing and finding the best path, just like a neuron would in your brain. Like it, would, it will all continually talk to each other and find the most efficient methods in which the connection can happen through node networks. And so the AI's only purpose in that small subset will be communication streamlining. And so, and, and, you know, just as that builds, you know, you take a a further step back and then you get to the, 
it'll, it'll remove obstacles that are just in front of it to, to efficient, make it more efficient for any action we're trying to perform as users. Right. And then that, man, having the, the, the conversations I've been having around AI, I just, in the middle of the conversations, I'm like, we're two insane people. Like, like <laughs> I wouldn't have even thought to have any conversations or think any of these thoughts a week ago. And now I'm like thinking things and I'm like in chat, typing in a chat GPT. Am I insane? You know what I mean? It's like, it's nuts. Yeah. I mean, like the reason why I know I'm not insane is because I'm looking at demos and it's again, it's a, there's a video of a really cute puppy running across the field. And then there's a side-by-side of a kitten running across the same field at the same time. And they just used AI to manipulate the dog to look like a kitten. The kitten looks 100% real. It's very cute and cuddly. And it's a dog. <laughs> it's like, wow. it, it's, it's, you know, and that's just one of the other, that's one of the, the other developments are like text to video where you can just type in what you would like to see. And it auto generates photorealistic videos of what you just typed in there. And, and this, these are the, these are the tools I'm talking about that came out in the last week. And it's like, there, there's people that are taking um, ring cams and updating the ring cam to like change people into Lego people from the live stream. So it's, it's manipulating the data bits to change the image through AI on the first right. I, I think that's, it's like, it's manipulating the image before the image is written. So it's, um it's just crazy. It's like, we are insane people, but also we're in an insane world and these things are real. I'm, I'm looking at them. I understand the technology and I'm like, this, this has all been created in a week. <laughs> yeah. And, um, it's so, it's so, um, it's uh, terrifyingly cool is the only way I've been describing it. Terrifyingly cool. I like that. We're, we're living in exponential times, man. And I mean, um, I, this has just been such a great conversation. We could literally go on for, I mean, we have been going on forever um, about this stuff in our DMs and everything. And, and I think it's just going to continue getting crazier. But um, landing this convo into something tangible and actionable for the the Hedera community, because I agree with you that um, there's a big crossover in, in, you know, the industry that we're in and communities that we're in and these new technologies. And to be honest... I think that I've had the same experience that a lot of people have had where initially with these new tools, like when chat GPT last year was kind of coming up, I was like, well, this technology has been around for a while. I played around with it a little bit. It was only until I actually leaned on it for support for something that I needed where I had light bulb moments. Um, when we, when we're, you know, we're talking to the Hedera community right now, like maybe what I'd ask you first is, if someone in the Hedera community maybe has, you know, kind of written off AI or maybe just hasn't had time to check it out or doesn't really understand how it could be used um, in their life, um, maybe what, you know, what, what's, what's a way that it, that you could illustrate why it's, a, why it might be important to incorporate this technology and, and, you know, what folks are doing and then maybe what's a really good first step. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, I know we've talked about this. Technology isn't, doesn't matter if it doesn't bring value to people. And so value means something different to everyone else, everyone's own personal life experience. So the, the way I would propose it to people is when you have a problem or you have, you know, that problem could be as small as I really don't know what to eat. 
and all I have are these ingredients. Or it can be, I'm working on this, you know, this essay and I'm just hitting a, a blank wall. Like I, I got writer's block. I cannot get past this blank white screen. I would say that's a great time to, to turn to AI and present the problem that you have verbatim. Um, I also always recommend a persona. So, hey, you're Chef Ramsey. You have a, a closet full of list ingredients that you have. Make the best meal possible out of that and give me the recipe. That that's I think to me that that small bit of value add, but like without searching the internet, without having to do a bunch of other things, you will get a value answer that allows you to have a better day where you don't have to just be like making, you know, um, chicken nugs again or something. You can actually cook a meal because you've gotten past this block or you can finish your essay on time because you've gotten past this. You can say, Hey, I'm trying to write a page about this, but I'm really having a hard time starting it. Pretend you're, um, you know, famous uh, author and help me, you know, write a story that has something to do with these, these points or help break my, you know, my writer's block. Um, just, I, I, don't try to go too big with it. Cause I do think some people are like, Hey, make a website that is a web three video game that can use NFTs as assets. And it's like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot. Um, you know, it is still text-based. So, uh, the, I guess the last thing is if you have something that is bigger, I always ask for an overview of how you would approach it from the persona that would be very knowledgeable. And then, say, hey, can you give me a more detailed example or more detailed information and examples of step one? And then just go through the steps as a conversation and that uh, pull it apart that way. Again, like you're talking to a person and there's a conversational user interface. And I think you'll be able to find a lot of value. Um, and especially, you know, with Hedera, it's like, hey, I want to make the, an app that can do this. I want to use the mainnet public API. Um, it will give you examples of where to go to get information, documentation, and it'll show you how to, how to execute things and, and interact with Hedera pretty, pretty nicely. So um, I think that would be, those would be my tips on how to start getting, getting into and just testing the water. Yeah. I love that. I think that's the best. And, and um, something else that's, that's really great, just from my perspective too, having to do so much research on different things is um, when it comes to like learning new material, understanding things, um, being able to digest information and expand information. Um, something that I've been doing that, that's really cool is I will take something from a topic, obviously like something hash graph related or something. Like let's say it's a press release or um, a section of a white paper or um, a conversation that's happening in, in a Reddit thread or whatever it could be. Take that, put it into um, ChatGPT and say, can, you know, again, can you condense this down into bullet points? And when it does that, then I start to expand on particular points and unpack particular things because I skip this step of reading through information that might be, you know, there might be bad grammar, it might be confusing, there might be things that make it a little bit cumbersome to absorb. And so I kind of can start absorbing it in a different way. I can I can instantly see an overview of what's being talked about, what's the subject matter, what are the key insights and key points, and then kind of go expand on this, expand on that, and go down like a little rabbit hole similar that you might do on like Wikipedia or YouTube or something where you'll find something related. Go explore that. Go explore this. And I find that it's a really interesting way to unpack information Um it's it's and also too like I've been um, taking Twitter Spaces and YouTube videos, um, 
moving them into transcripts um, and then throwing that into chat GPT, asking those conversations to be summarized. And then again, starting to unpack pieces of that, working backwards into what it's about. So there's so many different interesting ways to, to look at it, but I, I'd, I'd agree 100% with patches is when you come up against something and you're Google searching for an answer and you can't find it, or you're sitting down to write something and you're just going blank, or you want to do something, but you don't even know how to ask to do it. That could be an opportunity to hop over to something like this and say, hey, you know, can we get something started and try some of these tips? Because um, I can I can pretty much guarantee you, you'll be surprised um, if you haven't used it before. So, I mean, uh, that's my take. And just as we land this convo patches, I mean, is there any other like, you know, tidbits, insight, tips, um, anything else kind of that you want to share, maybe something new that's happened in the last, you know, since we've been talking for the last 30 minutes, any, any huge once in a lifetime, uh, you know, technological breakthrough that's happened <laughs> that, that, uh, that you want to share with everybody? It's uh, a high bar. Um, no, I, I don't think there's anything like, you know, we're still all learning too. I think, I think that's the main thing is that um, I do see this as a technology that enables anyone who takes the time to learn it to be successful with it. And it, you know, at least the people that run OpenAI have seen this as a democratization of access for regular people to really complex idea, both execution and then just helping digest and understand it as an educational resource. So um, I would just say, I, I know there are going to be life-changing inventions that are going to happen frequently in the, in the coming months as uh, this technology excels. And I would encourage everyone to just take the first step into understanding, you know, what are prompts and, and how do I interact with this thing? Because I do think sooner or later, uh, currently, I think you're probably already digesting AI content and sooner or later it's going to become um, a needed skill to access either information or services that are going to really help, um, you know, the quality of life of others. So um, that's just my two cents. Uh, but I do, yeah, as a technologist and as seeing what this is capable of, I think it's going to be impossible to ignore um, as it as it grows. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Patches. I, I uh, really, really appreciate you uh, um, stopping by. This has been awesome. For sure. I always love chatting. It's always great. All right. Amazing. So we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to uh, get this news wrapped up. We're going to continue on. Um, I've got some Disney movies that I want to watch. Um, and I've got some more conversations to have with my little chat GPT friends that I've made. I think I'm going to make a group of these AIs that I can call upon. I've got Bob, my finance guy. Maybe I'll, maybe there's other things that maybe I'm not good at that I can make these little kind of like AI personas. Have a, have a little dream team. Have a support system. Um, right, as Patches was saying, maybe someone who can help me out with, uh, you know, groceries and stuff like that. Give them names. Maybe they could talk to each other. Maybe Bob has a question for Sally. Who knows? Who knows where this is going to go? I've got an AI family happening. Um, we did touch on, um, during our conversation, humans.ai, which is a use case on Hedera. And a shout out to them. Hedera Ecosystem Builders Humans.ai win best AI blockchain technology at Crypto Expo Europe. 
awesome stuff. I mean, there are AI awards now. Let's go. Humans.ai. Um, that's awesome. Um, also, too, uh, this week, the HBAR Bowl, on their video, they had uh, Nick from Not Centralized. Um, and, you know, this is a project that is um, a part of a CBDC um, uh, pilot. And uh, this is this is an Australian company, and I definitely encourage people to go watch this this week's episode of the H Bar Bulls show. It's it's great. This particular conversation, um, key insight from this that I wanted to share with everybody that I think is is a similar thread that we don't hear about um, as often, but I think it's such a huge point. Um, when we look at CBDC use cases, when we look at these enterprise. Um, and you know, government project, all these different types of things. Um, Nick Bishop, who is a director for Not Centralized, said the reason that they went with Hedera is because of the enterprise grade um, nature of the network, all the different things, and also too um, the governing council. And you know, it's it's been highlighted that when you're working with these different parties, and also too people that may not. Um, be sold on Web3 or DLT technologies and different things. Um, That's a big contributing factor for some of these use cases to leverage Hedera is because it makes their job easier. It's an easier sell. It's a seamless pitch. And um, that's something that that Nick highlighted. Um, And I've heard it before, but I have a suspicion that um, this is a huge component as to why these enterprises are building on Hedera because um, they've got shareholders, they've got um, partners, they've got um, probably people within their company that are calling the shots that, again, aren't sold on or don't understand these types of technologies. And I think that, you know, know, a great example too, um, you know, just myself, you know, working with clients in the music industry, it's very similar. You say the word, you know, say words NFT or crypto or blockchain, people's ears close up and you can't really move forward with things. Um, So I think it's about getting over that hump, building something out, getting it to market, seeing results and then going from there. And I think that the path of least resistance for a lot of these folks is, hey, it's not a blockchain. I'm not going to say the B word, right? This is something different. This is, you know, it's enterprise grade, yada, yada. Sounds good. Okay, great. Let's go. Um, so that's the sense that I'm getting. I wanted to highlight that key point because I think it's um, much more prevalent than we think. Um, also, too, a big update was um, a Treasury management uh, report um, update uh, from Hedera um, published by Basabe, who is the CFO and treasurer for Hedera, titled bringing further rigor and transparency to the Hedera Treasury Management Report. Um, And there's a couple key things here. And I mean, the Treasury Report is a big aspect of um, the fundamentals of HBAR as an investment, right? The ways in which the Treasury is managed. Um, And there's some key changes um, coming in. So uh, historical data reporting has shifted from actuals, which is estimates, to actuals, 
which is completed transaction. Um, so this change ensures greater accuracy and provides a clearer picture of Hedera's real financial performance. So that's really important. And it's, and it's tied, um, with, um, the, the future disclosure horizon has been reduced from 12 months to one quarter, um, to account for fluctuate fluctuations in the H bar price. So, um, what that, what those two key pieces, which for me are really the two key pieces of this treasury managed report update is, um, the reporting for the treasury was done in a way that wasn't so web three. It was more web 2.5. This is a much more web three centric treasury management re- reporting, uh, you know, modality, which is like, um, uh, shorter time frames, less speculative, right? Switching from those, those estimated, um, data reporting to actuals, which are the, the actual completing, uh, of transactions. Um, and starting in 2023, the report format now includes um, those monthly actuals. That means that the actual financial data will be shared and updated on a monthly basis, providing timely and relevant information. Um, the third big thing that's super important is um, a new line item for illiquid supply has been added. Illiquid supply represents tokens that are part of the released supply, but have restrictions on trading and selling. This offers more a more transparent view of the actual token supply available for trading. We also know huge caches of HBAR are under the control of the ecosystem development organization. So that's a big thing. We've seen um, some, some really big um, spikes in confusion in the ecosystem and in the community surrounding circulating supply, all those different types of things. So again, that's another element of this treasury report update that's going to kind of transform a little bit of the the more complete financial picture of Hedera. So that's really what it comes down to is they're switching from um, uh, more estimated reporting to actual, you know, actuals reporting, um, which is, you know, again, completed transactions um, going from, uh, you know, uh, 12 months disclosure horizons to one quarter. So it's about making it shorter time periods, um, more accurate numbers, and, you know, arguably sacrificing some of those longer time frame uh, viewpoints, but providing much more useful information that could then be extrapolated upon, um, if you wish. So I think that this is a really solid update. It can't be overlooked. It does change the way in which um, it, it changes the lens in which people will look at the the network and Hedera. So um, big deal. Check it out. If you want to dive into the full article, it's in the thread. Um, encourage you to do so. Um, and I mean, we were talking about uh, FSCO, right? Fresh, Fresh Supply Company Australia. Um, and... They responded to my tweet. I was kind of like, listen, there's some wacky stuff happening on the main net. Could it be FSCO? I know that I had, you know, last I had them as a guest on the show. They said that their use case would be launching very, very quickly. Then we got hit with that um, pre-compile attack on Hedera that brought the, that, that, that caused the network to be closed off from the internet for a period of, you know, 41 hours. So obviously that was a bit of a bump to them going live. It does appear they've overcome that hurdle. I was kind of speculating, are you guys live? They might be live. And they responded to my tweet, you know, might be, we are. Um, So yes, they are live. 
is it clear whether these spikes in account creation is is in regards to their use case? I don't know. Are they live? Yeah, they've said they are, and they're live. And it'll be really interesting to see um, the, the that kind of elastic nature of a use case going live. They're going live, but when are we going to see the meat and potatoes of um, TPS happening on the mainnet? Um, so. It's going to be an interesting one to unfold. So I'd encourage everybody to keep an eye on FSCO. The CEO is very um, vocal on Twitter, very transparent and open. It's a fascinating one to watch come online. Um, and it's here. So we're just going to have to, uh, you know, see what's going on. Um, let me see here. My goodness. Um just real quick, I'm not going to go into tons of the details just because it's been broken down so well. I just wanted to highlight um, Danny Eid, um, you know, Hedera community legend, um, newsman, breaking down a talk that Aberdeen um, gave in regards to using Hedera and um, tokenizing TradFi assets. Um, there's a full presentation, but again, Danny gives a breakdown of that presentation. It's a lot to unpack and I don't want to keep folks too, too much longer. Um, but go check out that it's in the thread pinned to the top of the spaces. Um, but we talked about that real quick. I mean, you know, there's that website, realtps.net. Um, and that website, Hedera is still number one, rocking and rolling. Uh, we're at 725 average. Um, and that was at the time I posted that, which was six hours ago. So we're still rocking and rolling. We're number one. And, and the gap is continuing to grow between Hedera and Solana. Um, Hedera tweeted out an emoji and Hedera has been doing this more and more and more. Um, I'd love to learn a little more about what their plan is for social media because it does seem to be a little bit um, erratic and I love it. Um, they tweeted out a little uh, sand glass, time glass, whatever you want to call it, emoji. Um, what's coming soon? Is something coming soon? Are we waiting for something? I, that was tweeted out yesterday. It'd be really disappointing to find out that it was referring to the 6 billion transactions. It was also rumored that it could be um, something related to FSCO, right? That is supposedly a very big use case. And is this Hedera, you know, teasing about that? Could it be in regards to an overdue governing council member announcement? Um, could it be due to upgrades with the Guardian, right? Because we were rumored to have major upgrades to the Guardian, which is the tech stack in which the kind of ESG refi um, uh, ecosystem within Hedera, um, that, that's, that's what those things are built upon. And, you know, last week I had Rob Allen on as a guest from the HBAR Foundation, and we were talking about The Guardian and how important it is. So that's also something it could be about. Um, and that's really what we'll speculate on that. It invites speculation. It's, it's, it's wacky. I love it. I hope they don't delete it. I, I, I will say just real quick, you know, social media manager for Hedera, if you're listening, um, I really want to know why the LOL tweet was deleted. It was delightful. It was wonderful. Why did it have to be deleted? You know, it, it was a great tweet. It was a really great tweet. Um, 
we do have some really interesting insights from um, Shane, CEO of VHBAR Foundation. He had a great spaces with Genfinity, with uh, King Solomon, who is um, you know an off and on guest of this show, always bringing great insights. Um, and he interviewed Shane on a Twitter Spaces last week, and there were go listen to it. It was really great. Uh, but there was one key topic that I wanted to just unpack here for everybody on new use cases. So some insights shared from Shane were um, there are new supply chain use cases coming that are not relate that are not Atma. We're going to see more of these supply chain use cases coming. We're going to see the coupon bureau going live this year. He says knock on wood, but. It's very interesting, very exciting, right? We talked earlier about the Coupon Bureau. Very cool. Um, we're going to have a lot of big gaming use cases, apparently. Um, he says when the when the Guardian fully comes online, we're going to see TPS increase significantly. So, referring back to this little cheeky tweet from Hedera. It makes sense. It's interesting. Could it be referring to the Guardian? Who knows? Um, we're going to see payments and fintech. Um, also, a few folks are working on stable coins. Some of these projects are public. Some are not. That's what Shane highlighted. So that's also interesting. Um, and he also highlighted that, um, again, it's about patience. He said, when you think about the scale of these use cases, you would rather it be methodical, tested, and guaranteed. They can't roll out too soon. Sometimes you only get one chance. So it is really, you know, in that framing, if the use cases that are going to be going live on the Hedera mainnet are at the scale and will have the impact on the world um, in which has been described and alluded to, I do think like, yeah, okay, like, it does make sense to um, have these be a shoe in, right? Um, so I get that. And he also says that, that, you know, when you have also some of these startups and everything, when you have pressure from VCs to go live too early, it can burn users early on. So it does feel like there, there's a delicate balance behind the scenes and they are working with huge use cases. Um, so I get it. Another big uh, rumor item this week is regarding the Sony patent. So uh, there's a couple stories this week that I've touched on that we were supposed to touch on last week. Twitter was doing this weird thing where it was deleting random tweets. So as I was going through the news last week, I missed out on a couple news items because the tweets had literally disappeared. Um, So one thing last week was Sony filed a patent for NFT use, transfer, and sales in gaming. Um, another key uh, thing is the patent is titled, quote, NFT framework for transferring and using digital assets between game platforms. It addresses technological inadequ- inadequacies of using digital assets across different games and platforms, right? These are the things we've been talking about. It proposes a system to grant NFT-based rewards to players for in-game achievements. NFT progress could be transferred or sold, allowing players to advance gameplay. Um, It's definitely met with a lukewarm response from the gaming community. 
generally the broader gaming ecosystem and communities um, aren't super excited or enthused by these types of technologies, which I can understand. But in our hash graph world, immediately things start firing on all cylinders. We remember on previous episodes talking about the fact that the Hedera Twitter account um, followed, right, Sony's official Twitter account and then unfollowed Sony. What does that mean? Well, what we inferred from that was um, Hedera will only follow governing council members and it'll follow a new governing council member alongside an official announcement. I assume it may have been a botched announcement. And again, this is way out there speculation. I'm basically speculating that Sony could be a new governing council member. And if that's the case, it's very interesting that Sony is looking at the gaming aspect, right? We already have Ubisoft or Ubisoft. Um, could we have Sony as a governing council member? Or could Sony just be building a use case leveraging Hedera? Or are they not? I don't know. But it's, you know, it's very interesting to see those different types of breadcrumbs, right? And when we really look at it, Sony also has their music division. They have so many other different aspects of their business. So that'd be an exciting one. But they filed for a patent. It's very interesting. Um, what else we got going on here? Oh, there is a community Reddit post from the Hedera subreddit that I also just wanted to um, touch on that also um, carries forward these kind of upcoming use cases that we could see. Um, so one of them is an unannounced governing council use case, uh, which is Dice ID by WePro, decentralized identity and credentials exchange, Dice a blockchain-based platform for issuing and verifying credentials. It launched on February 22nd. We just haven't really heard anything about it. No moves have been made. Hedera mentioned uh, it in, it's mentioned in the architecture documentation. So within the documentation for DICE, Hedera is mentioned. Um, and there is a possible requirement of an ABFT algorithm for communication across chains. So that's a use case, to, case that's like, is technically live, but like nothing's happening. Also, two potential use cases um, that are you know kind of on the back burner is um, Ping ID, uh, Ping One Neo, decentralized identity, um, identity verification, credential issuance, and uh, verification. Um, Mance Harmon's um, history with Ping. And Hedera's past implementation is really interesting, right? And remember, Mance came from Ping. Uh, uh, also, too, uh, there is potential collaboration with Miko. So interesting stuff there. Um, also, a, a use case with FIS, which is Commerce 360 with GoDaddy, an all-in-one omni-commerce solution for small business, um, a partnership between GoDaddy and WorldPay from FIS, which we've talked about before, possible integration with Hedera through proof of reserves and USDC collaborations. So, right, very interesting. Also, too, magazine um, Louisa, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Louisa, uh, native token in rewards program. So, studying creation of native token 
for reward programs. Internal discussions are ongoing, possible future purchase of products through cryptocurrency. So again, these are just some of those potential upcoming um, governing council use cases that were highlighted in this Reddit post. Um, that post is in the thread. Check it out. Really interesting stuff. Um, what else we got going on here? Um, that's the mean potatoes. Uh, anything else in the in the old thread here? Wow, we did it. Uh, that was pretty good. I mean, we fit in a 45-minute conversation about AI. We got through the news. Um, you know, and it's really crazy. Um, when we look at what we talked about this week, technology is changing so much. And being a Hashgraph enthusiast and looking at some of these new emerging technologies through the lens of being a Hashgraph enthusiast um, also paints a really interesting picture. Again, some of the ways we were talking about um, the intersection of AI and Web3, Hashgraph specifically, um, there's so many different nuanced, um, highly specific conversations that are yet to be had, so many discoveries to be made, so many opportunities that are there. It is truly an incredible time um, to just be a technology person. It's 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 nuts. Um, and like Patches said, the best thing to do right now is just, you know, kind of dive in, right? So another week behind us and another week ahead. A huge shout out to everyone listening live on Twitter Spaces right now. And an extra shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or wherever you might be listening to it. If you have a moment, give the show a rating and review on your favorite platform. It helps out a lot. Um, thanks again to Patches from Turtle Moon Command Center for hopping on the show. Just really great insights about AI. Um, and it's And it's just important to have those conversations also inside of our communities. Um, because there again, I'll leave the AI conversation at this. Um, there are so many situations where a little NFT project or a cool startup or somebody in the ecosystem with an interesting idea just doesn't have the resources to do something. And what's really great is folks within the Hedera community will say, um, hey, you should reach out to this person. They're really good at that. Or you should reach out to these people. Um, they have a really great tool that you could use for what you're trying to do. Um, and that's so awesome. But now with AI, I think that we can help each other out even more because when the, ne the next time that you're talking with someone in the Hedera ecosystem that's trying to get something figured out, Think about patches, right? He told us he didn't understand, um, you know, not didn't understand, but never had um, worked with Solidity or smart contracts in that type of capacity before. And he used chat GPT as almost a, uh, a you know, a, um, a partner, a collaborator to develop a bunch of stuff that he wanted to do that he was able to do. So, the next time that you see someone in the ecosystem, 
this is another tool that you could, you know, point them towards and say, hey, you know, check out this AI thing, see what you can do with it. And if you need help, right, reach out to Patches, reach out to somebody that you know is really good with AI. Because, you know, I'll say this. If you give some give somebody advice from an AI, they'll figure out one problem. But if you can teach them how to do their own prompts, they'll figure out problems for a lifetime. That sounded stupid. I'm trying to do that, like te- teach a man to fish in a leaf for a day kind of thing. Something's in there. There's something in there. Uh, prompts, fish, something, something. Maybe I'll ask chat GPT and it'll figure it out. And next time uh, I'll have more of a, a witty uh, response. But thank you for tuning in to Hashgraph Enthusiast News and Rumors, episode 70, Exponential Times. Broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes on itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Make sure to join the Hashgraph Enthusiasts Twitter community to share your insights, ask questions, and invite new friends. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, feel free to send an hbar donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. I appreciate everybody tuning in, and I'll see you live on Twitter Spaces next Sunday. For everyone listening now, as usual... I'm going to keep the Twitter spaces open for a moment. If you see somebody that you recognize that you haven't reached out to in a bit, click their picture right now, hop into their DMs and say, what's up? What's new? What have you been working on? How you doing? Right? If you see somebody that you don't know that you've never seen before, well, you have something in common. You're both listening to the show. You're both Hashgraph enthusiasts. And if you don't know them, do the same thing. Click their profile. Give them a follow, shoot them a message, you know, hey, you say like, hey, you know, we're both listening to this show. What are you working on? You know, well, you know, those types of things. These are moments when those things can happen. So do it now because I'm going to end the show and I'm only going to leave it open for a couple more moments. So do it now. Uh, but thank you so much. Seriously, everyone listening. Fantastic. Shout out to Patches. Shout out to everybody. Um, and I'll see you next week. Hello, future. Goodbye, past.